Okay, let's <clears throat> take our Bibles this evening and turn to First Timothy, <clears throat> First Timothy, and chapter three. <clears throat> First Timothy, chapter three, and uh, let's just begin reading from verse one <clears throat> this evening. <clears throat> Says so this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, but covetous, not covetous. One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with or gravity. For a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's <clears throat> commit our time this evening to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for the opportunity to gather together and to come and sing praises to your name, and to come now around your word. Lord, I pray that this evening you would uh, speak to our hearts through your word, that you would uh, teach us, you would instruct us, give us understanding of the passage before us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower me this evening through the Holy Spirit. You would give me wisdom and guidance that only you can give, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts. And that, Lord, you would be honoured and glorified now as we consider your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, we've been going through the book of First Timothy. And most recently, we've been in chapter 3. And we've been considering here the, the qualifications of the pastor, the bishop, uh, as recorded for us here in these first seven verses. And as we said, these are moral and spiritual qualities that are to be looked for in the life of someone who is to be appointed to the office of pastor. But of course, as we've seen, as we've been going through them, you know, there's not one standard for the pastor and then another standard for every other believer. Uh, instead, the pastor is to be an example of the believers. And so these moral and spiritual qualities that we've been looking at here really ought to be present in the life of every believer. The pastor is to exemplify these things. And last time we considered verse 3, if you remember, we looked at verse 3 there where it says, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. We looked at this verse last time. We saw that in the Greek, the verse is actually divided into two sets of three. There's three negative statements followed by three positive statements, which is not really obvious there in the English translation. And they're sort of paired together. You have each negative paired with a positive. And so we saw that the pastor must not be given to wine. In other words, he's not to be a drinker. He's not to be someone um, under the influence, but rather he must be patient. He's to be someone who is under the control of the spirit and exercises moderation in his behavior. And then we saw that he's not to be a striker or someone who's quick to confrontation, but instead he is to be a peaceable man which is the translation there, not a brawler, to be a peaceable man. And then finally, we saw that he must not be greedy or filthy 
lucre. In other words, his motivation for ministry must not be personal gain. Instead, he is to be indifferent about money. In that translation there, not covetous. He's to be content with what God gives him. And this evening now we come to the final three qualifications listed for us here in verses 4 down to verse 7. So we're going to finish this list here uh, this evening. The first of all here this evening we see that the pastor must be someone who ruleth his own house well. Let's look in verse 4. It says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So with verse 4, we see that the attention now uh, turns, if you like, to the pastor's home life. With Paul here declaring that he must be someone that ruleth well his own house. Now the word translated ruleth here means to preside over or to govern. And so it speaks to the fact that the pastor is to be someone who fulfills his God-given responsibility within the home as a father and as a husband. He is to take the lead as the head of the home. That's what Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 5, let's turn there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. Ephesians 5 and verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. The husband is the head. He's the head of the home. He's the head of that relationship. He's to take the lead within the home. And it speaks of his uh, responsibility to lead spiritually in particular. He's to lead his family in serving the Lord, lead his family in you know, family devotions, lead his family in seeking the Lord's will before making decisions. You know, this is the responsibility that God has given to every husband within the home, not just the pastor. Okay? And so we can clearly see how the pastor is just to be an example of this. Now, as men, we all must rule well. In other words, preside over, govern our houses well to the glory of God. Take the lead spiritually. Of course, part of that godly leadership is raising our children in a godly way. That's the second half of verse 4. It says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Gravity. Now, the word translated subjection here we've seen earlier in chapter 2. It's the word submission, and it means uh, to willingly rank under the authority of uh, someone else. So here it says that the pastor's children must recognize his authority and submit to his authority as, as the head of the home, as the father. You know, in order for this to be true, he needs to bring up his children according to the principles of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us guidance for all of us as as fathers, as parents. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. the, The father, and in particular we're talking about the pastor, he must bring his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, nurture there mean, meaning discipline, the chastisement, godly discipline. Admonition, speaking of instruction. 
So the pastor is to be a good father at home. He's to exercise godly discipline. He's to teach his children the truths of God's word. So they might then be in subjection, submission to his authority. That they might be respectful, obedient children. Now it's important we understand here that the pastor's children are not perfect. Okay, you all know my children; they're not perfect. Okay, and the pastor's children are not expected to be perfect. They're still sinners, just like everyone else, aren't they? They're still sinners. But the idea here is that the pastor is to fulfill his role as the husband, as the father in the home. And he's to fulfill his role bringing his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they might be respectful and obedient children. In Titus chapter 1, Paul adds to this by stating the pastor's children must not be accused of riot or unruly. Let's turn over there. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. See, we see that they're not to be accused of riot or unruly. And these words describe children who are disobedient and un- uh, uncontrolled. They're undisciplined. And so this must not be true of the pastor's children. And indeed, it shouldn't be true of any of us as believers, that our children are seen as being uh, uncontrolled, disobedient, undisciplined children. You know, really what we see emphasized here is that <clears throat> the world's way of parenting has no place in the life of the believer, has no place in, in the, the Christian home. You know, the world's idea today is that we let children do as they please. That's really the world's philosophy, isn't it? Let them do as they please and we never tell them no because we might you know, hurt that, their little feelings. So we never tell them no. You know, the result of this parenting in the world is a world that's full of un- unruly, riotous children. That's the result, isn't it? And it shouldn't surprise us that this is where the world has ended up. I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3 prophesied that this would happen in the last days. Just turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own, own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Disobedient to parents. We shouldn't be surprised that that's the state of the world today. We're living in the last days, and the children are disobedient to parents. They have no respect for authority, and it's because parents are not bringing their children up according to the principles of God's word in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so the home of the pastor, and indeed the home of all believers, ought to be different. There must be godly discipline and instruction so that our children are in subjection, they're obedient and respectful to authority. And verse 4 then ends that the Pastor is to do this with all gravity. Okay, this is one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now these words could be translated with complete dignity. And so it speaks of the fact that in exercising this authority in the home, he is to do so with dignity. Now Thayer writes this, he says, 
this word gravity, that it speaks of that characteristic of a person or thing which entitles or leads to reverence and respect. Leads to reverence and respect. You see, the father must exercise his authority with dignity so his children respect him and obey him. They don't obey him because they're fearful of what he's going to do. They're fearful of his ungodly response. Rather, they obey and respect him because of his godly example and his leadership. And he does so with dignity. And in verse 5, we see Paul now makes it clear why it's so important for the pastor to be an example in this. Verse 5, it says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? It's important for all of us as fathers, as parents, to rule a house well and to bring our children up to know the Lord. But why is it so important for the pastor? Well, because the pastor has been entrusted with taking care of the church. And if the pastor can't take care of his own house, how can he possibly do that job well to the glory of God? You see, like the father at home, the pastor is to rule well the local church. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17 <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders or pastors that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. That word rule is that same word that we saw earlier. Same word, it means to preside over, to govern. So just as the father is to take the lead at home spiritually, the pastor is to take the lead in the church. Taking care of the church is to lead spiritually. And if a man is failing to do that at home, if his children are unruly and disobedient, undisciplined, how can he possibly take the lead of the church? The man chosen to be pastor must be a godly example. He must fulfill this role as a father at home first so he can faithfully fulfill the role of leadership in the church. Secondly, this evening, we see the man appointed to be the pastor must not be a novice. Not a novice. Look in verse 6. It says, Not a novice, lest... Being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Here in verse 6, Paul now speaks about the fact that someone who's appointed to the office of pastor or bishop must be spiritually mature. Now the word novice here literally means newly planted. And so it speaks of a plant that's just been put into the ground and it's not very strong. You know, it doesn't have deep roots to enable it to stand tall when the, the storm comes. This plant that's newly planted, it needs time to establish itself, doesn't it? It needs time to put those roots down, to grow, to mature. And here we understand it in a spiritual sense. You know, the, the idea is that a pastor must not be someone who has only just come to the Lord. They must not be a new convert, newly planted not someone who's newly saved and therefore they're not strong, they're not mature in the faith. They're not yet well grounded in the doctrine of God's word. Henriksen writes this, he says, A member of the congregation may, however, possess all the characteristics mentioned in the proceeding and still not be qualified to serve as an overseer. Because he may be a beginner, one who was converted only recently, whether old or young, he lacks the maturity and prestige that is required in an overseer. You see, that's the point here. Someone young in the faith, they might exhibit many of the other qualities, if not all the other characteristics. But the fact that they're young in the faith immediately disqualifies them from the ministry. 
They need time to develop. They need time to grow and mature and strengthen in the faith, to grow in their knowledge of God's Word. And in the second half of verse 6, we see clearly the reason why a novice must not be appointed to the office of a pastor. Verse 6 again, it says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, Paul makes it clear that there's a, a very real danger of him being lifted up with pride, pride destroying this novice. The Greek word translated lifted up with pride here literally means to be wrapped up in smoke. It's the idea of, of being wrapped up in the smoke of arrogance so that he cannot see or think clearly. It's the danger that the novice will become so wrapped up in their own sense of importance that they think there's something special, they think there's something better than everyone else. And indeed, just because you're not a novice doesn't mean you're not at danger of this as well. Okay? And we know that. Pride is a problem for all of us. But one commentator wrote this. He said, The noun describes a person who is in a beclouded or stupid state of mind as the result of pride. And so pride clouds their judgments. And in the second half of the verse, Paul points out that this was Satan's original sin, wasn't it, against God. He says they're not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, this was Satan's sin, original sin. His heart was lifted up with pride, and the result was that he led a rebellion against Almighty God. Go to Isaiah with me. Let's just read it. Isaiah chapter 14. <clears throat> Isaiah 14, and we'll read from verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pits. This is Satan here, Lucifer. His heart was lifted up with pride. He, he was clouded by his pride. And he lost the position that he had in heaven because of it. You know, he thought he could be like God, wrapped up in the smoke of his arrogance. And the result was, of course, that he rebelled against God and now he is under the condemnation of God. And so the point here is that there, pride is a very real danger for the novice who's appointed to the ministry. And indeed, pride always leads to a fall, doesn't it? Proverbs chapter 16 tells us that. Proverbs 16. <clears throat> Let's turn there. Proverbs chapter 16. A verse I'm sure many of us know well. <clears throat> In Proverbs 16 and verse 18, it says, Pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. And your pride destroys. It always leads to a fall. It always leads to destruction. And so pride here for the novice will destroy them. It will destroy their ministry. And so it's for this reason that Paul here says that a novice should not be appointed to the office of pastor. Instead, the pastor must be someone who has shown themselves to be spiritually mature. They must be rooted and grounded within the truth. 
And this is something we saw revealed earlier in verse 2 with the, the qualification of being apt to teach. Remember when we looked at this qualification, we saw that it speaks of having both the ability and the skill to rightly divide the word of truth. For someone to be apt to teach, they have to indeed be spiritually mature, don't they? Be apt to teach, you have to be spiritually mature. This, of course, only happens through studying the Word of God, through meditating on God's Word, getting to know Him more, being trained for the ministry. And so spiritual maturity is a necessity. It's a necessary quality in a man who's going to be appointed to the office of bishop. You know, while this qualification, not a novice, it's probably the one on this list that really we can say doesn't apply to any of us if you're not in the ministry. Okay. But the danger of pride does, doesn't it? Okay. The, the one not a novice might not, but the danger here applies to all of us, the danger of pride. As we saw in Proverbs 16 verse 18, pride always leads to destruction. It always will destroy us. It destroys our effectiveness for Christ in any ministry that we're in, any ministry that we have. You see, pride makes us someone that God is unable to use. James tells us that. Go to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4. <clears throat> James 4 and verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. James, he says that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. In verse 10 there, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You see, humility is a trait that God looks for. Humility is a trait that God looks for in any of us if He's going to use us to His glory. You see, we all must remember that we really are nothing but sinners saved by grace. And therefore, any ministry God gives us to do is a privilege, isn't it? whether it's as the pastor or whether it's just as a leader or whether it's whatever it might be, any ministry God gives us is a great privilege. And we can only fulfill that privilege by His grace, fulfill that role by His grace. And so we all must be careful of the danger of pride and our hearts being lifted up and fallen into the condemnation of the devil. And finally now this evening, we see that the pastor must have a good report. Verse 7 it says, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. This list of qualifications here for the pastor, it concludes with how the pastor is viewed by those outside of the church. Now, the list began with the word blameless, verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless. And it concludes now with this statement that he must have a good report. If you like, there are two matching bookends okay, that really sum up everything that goes in between. The emphasis here in verse 7 is on the pastor's testimony before those who are not part of the church. It says there in verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Now, the words translated good report here literally mean an excellent testimony. An excellent testimony. Now, of course, obviously, it doesn't mean that he must be sinless because no one has a sinless, perfect testimony but the Lord Jesus Christ. But it means that the pastor must be someone who is known to have an excellent testimony before them which are without. And those described as being without here are the unsaved. It's the unsaved. It's the people that you know, he meets and interacts with 
in his daily life, whether it's, you know, down at the shops, walking down the streets, the mechanic you deal with, whatever it might be, the people we interact with. You know, we live in the midst of an unsaved world and the pastor must be someone who has an excellent testimony before them. Henriksen writes this, he says, In order to be an effective overseer, a brother must be known even to worldly people with whom he is in contact as a man of character, a man against whom it is not possible to level any just charges of moral turpitude. You see, the man chosen for the office of pastor must be known to be a man of character in the community. That he behaves himself properly before others and around others and towards others. And this, of course, must be true of every believer. As we said all the way through, it's not just for the pastor. It's not as if I'm supposed to be something special, because I'm not. It should be true of all of us as believers. Colossians chapter 4, just turn there. Colossians 4. Colossians 4 and verse... Five. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And then verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. But walk, walk with wisdom before them that are without, them that are unsaved. We're to, let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salts. You see, all of us as believers must be careful how we act before the unsaved. We must make sure that how we live reflects what we say, we believe. And in the next part of the verse here, we see why it's so important for the pastor and indeed why it's so important for all of us as believers. In verse 7, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. The pastor must have an excellent testimony lest he fall into reproach. And reproach here speaks of bringing dishonor and shame. You see, if the pastor does not have an excellent testimony before the unsaved, he'll bring shame upon himself, upon the church, and most importantly, upon the Lord. He'll greatly damage the effectiveness of that church in the local community. And added to this is also the danger of fail, falling sorry, into the snare of the devil at the end of verse 7 there. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This speaks of the devil's desire to trap and destroy those who are laboring in the ministry. You know, those who do not maintain a good report, an excellent testimony before the world are in danger of falling into those traps, those snares. One commentator writes this, Thus weakened and disheartened, he might readily fall an easy prey into some skillfully laid snare of the devil, who is here vividly pictured as a hunter of souls. Such a fall would cause great harm to his own soul and bring terrible damage to the church. The enemy's aim has always been to destroy the leaders of the church. You see, the devil would love nothing more than for a pastor to fall into the trap, the snare that he's laid, and bring great shame upon the name of the Lord. And indeed, sadly, there have been many men down through the ages who have fallen into reproach and they've fallen into the snare of the devil because they didn't maintain an excellent testimony before those that are without. 
And of course, as I've said, this is a warning to all of us, isn't it, as believers? We all must make sure that we maintain a godly testimony in our daily lives, at our workplace, our school, wherever it might be. Maintain that godly testimony so that we don't fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he says that we must be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, the devil would love to see us bring shame upon the name of the Lord. He would love to see us bring shame upon the church and destroy our effectiveness for the Lord here. And so we must therefore daily be sober, be vigilant, maintain our testimony before men and walk as God would have us to. Now this evening we've seen these final three characteristics, these qualities that must be seen in the life of a pastor and indeed as an example of all believers. We've seen that he must be someone who rules well his own house, taking the lead spiritually, bringing his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He must not be a novice, lest pride take hold and destroy him. Instead, he must be spiritually mature. He must seek to remain humble, serving the Lord. And finally, he must have an excellent testimony. An excellent testimony before the unsaved, so he can effectively serve Christ in the field where Christ has placed him. Let's close this evening in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for these qualifications, these qualities that you've given us in your word, Lord, that help us to know what we should look for in a pastor, but Lord, indeed, they help us to know what we should look for in our own lives as well. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in each of these areas, Lord, help us to be good parents at home, help us to bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, have a, a home, Lord, where kids are disciplined and Lord, they have respect for authority. Help us, Lord, to be careful of the danger of pride in the ministries, the areas of service that you've given us. And Lord, indeed, help us to maintain an excellent testimony before them that are without. Lord, may you work in our hearts this evening. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name.